Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Chapter 13, Detention with Dolores. Dinner in the Great Hall that night was not a pleasant experience for Harry. The news about his shouting match with Umbridge seemed to have traveled exceptionally fast, even by Hogwarts standards. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Matt Potts. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Matt, we only have one announcement before we get started today, and that is what our Every Flavored Bean conversation is going to be. Harry, I think it's safe to say, gets punished in this chapter. And while you and I, I would imagine, have never had to cut our hands open due to a teacher, we have been punished by teachers before. And so we are going to share some stories about that in our Every Flavored Bean conversation. You can hear that and so much more at patreon.com slash Harry Potter Sacred Text. You could say we're going to set the record straight. Yes. We're going to set the record straight of our alleged misdeeds. Matt, you are telling a story this week on the theme of pressure. What story do you have? Yeah, thanks, Vanessa. I'm happy to tell this story. It actually comes from fairly recently in my life. You know, I was a, I was a baseball coach for two of my kids last year. And I'm a baseball fan, and I love the game. And Sammy and Danny like the sport a lot. And last spring, they were starting their second year of playing organized baseball, you know, because of the pandemic, they both ended up starting at the same age mm -hmm. and played in the same league and on the same teams, even though there's a couple of years separating them. And at the beginning of last season, they both moved up in their second year into the kind of the more advanced little league. And the pitchers were throwing a little bit harder, not necessarily with more accuracy. It's important mm -hmm. to note, mm -hmm. but a little bit harder. And the play was becoming a little bit more skillful. And both Danny and Sammy are pretty good players, and they're pretty good hitters. And they found themselves in the beginning of the year, both of them just kind of frozen, right? Mm -hmm. In the plate, they couldn't get the bat off their shoulder. They wouldn't swing. The pitches would come in, and they just look at it. And they'd strike out looking a lot just because they were frozen. Now, to be clear, you know, I, like, we would go practice a lot, and we'd play. And, and if I was pitching to them, and honestly, I threw harder than the pitchers in their league, they would be fine. They'd stay right in the box, and they'd hit well, right? And I just tell them, you have to yeah, just, you know, in the game time, just got to duplicate this. And what I realized is that, you know, 
you know, because I had slightly more accuracy than these 10-year-old pitchers. Sure. They were less scared of getting hit. Yeah. And so they were they were spending less time deciding whether to swing. Mm-hmm. And also in practice, if they swing and miss, who cares? Right. Right. But in the game where there's the extra pressure of people watching and your friends watching and I'm trying to get on base, you know, these wild pitchers, there's a chance you can walk. So I don't want to swing at a pitch that I can't hit. And so they are waiting to decide if I should swing. And by the time they were deciding, because the speed of the pitches were getting faster, they were too light and they were striking out looking a lot. Basically, just a lot of things were conspiring to put more pressure on them in that moment. And they couldn't act. They became frozen because there was pressure, right? Over the summer, we went to Japan, as I think our listeners know, and they have amazing batting cages in Japan. And my kids, we went to this batting cage with their cousins, and they went, both of them, Danny and Sammy, both went into the 85-mile-an-hour cage, like, <laughs> like up first. And just, and again, like, it took them a while to catch up, but they were hitting balls in this cage just because there's no pressure there, right? Because right. they're like, there's no consequence here. If I swing and miss a bunch of times, we just laugh, and it's no big deal. And also, I'll swing at everything. I'll swing early because I know it's going to be a strike. But the byproduct of this kind of lack of pressure is they develop so much confidence. They walked out of this batting cage thinking like, I can hit an 85-mile-an-hour pitch. These 10-year-olds got nothing on me. (laughs) And when they return to fall league this fall, right, they were up there swinging every time, right? And so, like, there was a weird way in which certain pressures were conspiring in the spring league that froze them up and made them unable to act. And then we went to a Another situation where we removed certain pressures, fans watching, high stakes of the game, while raising other pressures, like doubling, literally doubling the speed of the pitches they were seeing. And that ended up relieving the original pressures. So when they returned to games, they were able to swing. I mean, they didn't get hits every time, but they felt like they were engaging and they didn't feel as frozen when they were playing. Matt, I love that story. And not just because I got to like spend time in my mind with Sammy and Danny, but I think that you're exactly right that there are certain kind of pressures that are good that push us and then other ones that can just create the exact wrong conditions. And yeah, the pressure of this 85 mile an hour batting cage was an exciting one, right? It was like a a pressure that actually felt like an opportunity to step up and to try something that sounds ridiculous. But then, you know, just the pressure of something a little unreliable is actually the exact wrong kind of pressure. And we can't always anticipate that. I feel like if you asked me at the beginning of the story, which sounds scarier to you, an 85 mile an hour pitch or a 10-year-old pitching, I'd be like, I'll take the 10-year-old. But right, like, it's really interesting the ways that these things can play out on us. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, the reliability of the machine meant that they knew where the pitch was going to be every time. And sure. so they just were, they'd start swinging before the ball was even out of the machine, right? They were just, <laughs> they, but, but it built up their confidence, right? Yeah. The word pressure comes from the Latin word for press. And it only acquired the kind of emotional sense that it has now in 14th century English when it was understood to be like something pressing on your heart or something pressing on your mind, right? Like when you think about the way that you might feel when you feel pressure, what it feels like is physiologically even sometimes like you feel something weighing on you. We have these other this other metaphorical language of something weighing on you, weighing on your mind or weighing on your heart is because you can, sometimes it feels like your body is being impacted by thoughts or fears or stresses. And I think that's what was happening when Danny and Sammy were stepping into the live game situation. Like they just felt weighed down and they couldn't lift the bat. But then with, you know, goofing around with their cousins in a batting cage, then they just felt free to, to swing away. 
Speaking of pressure, Vanessa, mm-hmm. it's time for us to share 30-second recaps of this chapter with one another and with our listeners. Do you feel pressure? I don't feel any pressure. I feel completely at ease. Okay. Well, I aspire to your cool, calm, and collected affect. Can you please count me in? (laughs) I'd love to. Three, two, one, go. So much happens in this chapter. So Hermione is hilarious in this chapter. She threatens Fred and George that she's going to call their mom if they keep experimenting on small children. Ron is trying to get better so that he can try to get onto the Quidditch team. Um, but most importantly, Harry has detention with Dolores Umbridge, and she makes him write out, I, I must not tell lies, even though he's not telling any lies. And every time he writes it, it gets written onto his own skin. And everybody is like, you should probably go talk to Dumbledore. And he's like, no. I'm a boy. I don't communicate. That's good. I thought your your Harry imitation was the high point of that 30-second recap. Oh, I actually have developed a new Harry Potter voice, Matt. I've been reading the Anna a lot, and she really likes yeah. it when I do Harry's voice like this. <laughs> no. She thinks it's really funny. <laughs> Matt, it's your turn to do some recapping. Yes. On your mark. Get set. Go. So although I only have 30 seconds, I would like to register my protest that the chapters are getting longer and we still only have 30 seconds. So it starts, uh, they're all mad at Umbridge and Hermione's like, why should he be here? And then they go to the classes and everyone's like, pressure, pressure, pressure. You need to study because the owls are coming and it's getting harder and harder. And Harry has lots of detention and lots of homework and it's getting worse and worse. And the scar on his hand is deepening and it's really awful. But Ron makes the team. So that's good to know. And But then she, the pain in the scar comes back when Dolores touches him and what is going on. Ugh. Ugh. It's interesting how you were willing to burn some seconds in protest. Yeah, I feel like th- it's a fool's errand to summarize a chapter that long in 30 seconds. And so using the time I had, I felt like, what are the most important things I have to say? And one was just to register protest. Sure. I would love it if we started not with the moment that the chapter is named for, but with Hermione. I was laughing out loud reading this chapter last night when she notices that Fred and George are testing their Weasley's Wizard Wheezes candy items on first years. She is like, absolutely no. And then she says one of my favorite lines, I think, in the whole series. She just turns to Ron and goes, come on, Ron. Like, Ron is definitely going to come with her. And it is like she feels the pressure of being a prefect and therefore, like, publicly getting involved in this. And Ron is like, nope, I feel the pressure of my brothers not hating me. And that pressure is higher than the pressure of the badge. See you later. I think you and he's like, I think you got it covered. You're so good. It's so funny. But then... She walks up to Fred and George and is like, stop this. And Fred and George are like, look, it's safe. We've tested it on ourselves. And she says, I mean, just like with such clarity of purpose, right? She says, I can't stop you eating the stupid things yourselves, but you're not giving them to first years. And I just think like having that grounding purpose kind of takes the pressure off right? You're like, I know exactly what I'm about in this situation. And you can be stressed, but like, it's not weighing Mm. on her. It's not heavy on her heart. She knows exactly what she wants. Well, this is like the 85 mile an hour pitch, right? She feels totally free in this moment. The moral clarity of this situation where these older boys are, I mean, 
actually good language for it is pressuring first years sure. into testing their potentially dangerous concoctions. Like she doesn't feel any of that pressure. She feels only the pressure to kind of protect these young children. But then you see pressure coming from different directions, right? Which is Fred and George, like, of course, they're putting pressure on these first years, which is what Hermione's responding to. I also wonder, you know, they know that they didn't do well on their owls. They know they're not taking their newts. They know they're leaving school. Like, they have a business to start. Yeah. Like, they need market research. They need to do <laughs> some, like, R&D. Yeah. And they're like, this is actually the best we're going to get before we open our business in Diagon Alley, right? Like, so they're feeling, like business pressure, commercial pressure to, to try to get some testing done. So you can see all these things going. And what's really sure. brilliant about Hermione's response, at least to my mind, is that she knows exactly the pressure point to put on Fred and George. They tease her. They're like, what are you going to do? Give us detention? And she's like, nope, I will write <laughs> your mother. And then like they're immediately like, you wouldn't. <laughs> right? And like Hermione just knows, first of all, has a relationship with Molly. Right. But also knows, has a relationship with them that knows that all it will take is one letter. And then I, you know, I can manipulate your behavior however I however I want to. Right. So like this, it's a masterful performance from Hermione because not only does she like feel free of all pressure because she sees the moral necessity of protecting these first years, but also she knows exactly where to apply just a little bit of pressure to Fred and George to get them to cut it out. Yeah. And the text tells us that they make faces or make comments or whatever that shows that they really think that this is below the belt. And Hermione is not a below-the-belt person, but she's like, no way, right? This is a line that you guys are crossing. It's just so brave. I know it's, like, f funny, but it is also very brave. Yeah, it is. Fred and George are cool and fun. You want them to like you. That's why the first years are doing it. I, the thing is, I think bravery takes this form in many ways. I'm not even sure... Hermione sees it as brave. She just, yeah. there's there's no other action to choose from. Like yeah. often with bravery, like, oh, there's the brave thing or the cowardly thing. I think Hermione doesn't even see the other thing. She right. just is like, there's only one thing I must do when she does it. <laughs> I love it so Which doesn't much. make it any less brave. I just, she probably doesn't think of it herself as something brave. It's just what sure. she has to do, right? I mean, thinking about pressure points, you know, you mentioned the title of this chapter. The kind of emotional and plot heart of this chapter is Harry's detentions with... Umbridge, because, you know, we've learned a little bit about Umbridge in previous chapters of this book, but we learn a lot about Umbridge in this chapter, how cruel she is. And, you know, the punishment that Harry gets is alarming and disgusting and upsetting and abusive, certainly. I just think in comparison to the example that we just talked about, it's interesting how poorly Umbridge understands Harry's pressure points. Hermione knows Fred's and George's so well that with just one comment, she can alter their behavior. Umbridge thinks that this abusive punishment is going to break Harry or cause him to become submissive to her in some way. You know, as soon as it starts, as soon as he realizes what his lines are doing, that he's cutting his own hand as he's forced to make the lines, the text says he resolved to show no pain because he wasn't yeah. going to let her have the satisfaction of, of breaking him, right? And so he sits through it all week and he makes the signatures all week. And this is, I mean... For all the other reasons that Umbridge's punishment is a failure, it's a moral failure, it's a pedagogical failure, it's all these things. Also, practically, it's failing because it's doing yeah. the opposite of what she had wanted to do, which is like she's just strengthening Harry's resolve and his suspicion of her and his uh, intention to defy her and her authority. Yeah. I mean, the irony is so poignant that she is having him write, I must not tell lies because he's not. Mm. Right? Like, and right. I can just imagine being like, you're the one who's li like, I'm already living up to this. 
so like this profound just like you're not getting it is just incredible which is another kind of pressure that i thought about in this chapter i think we see harry under the most like pressure of scrutiny when he feels like people aren't believing him when he's like wait why did people believe me two months ago and is like trying to wrap his head around how people could legitimately think that he was lying that is when he feels the pressure to perform in a certain way he feels the right like the pressure of scrutiny on him to defend just the truth and that seemed to me to be something that we just know to be true about being a human being right that it can be so deeply demoralizing to have to defend your identity in any way right like harry's identity is someone who fought voldemort and witnessed cedric die and i was just thinking of moments where someone will say well that was sexist that was racist and people will be like was it And you're like, yes, I know my experience. I know what I saw. I know what I felt. I know these systems. And just that, like, horrible feeling of having to defend what you know to be a fact is a pressure that I think is just heartbreaking. And it's so hard to see it on this kid. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why he doesn't break when he's, I mean, effectively being tortured by right. Dolores like he he feels like if he does break it will be conceding a falsehood to her like it would be giving up this truth that is essential to who he is and has formed so much of experience this trauma that he experienced I think that maybe this chapter in that way plays into some tropes about we know how abuse works we know how torture works and that actually you can break people that people right like I don't think we want to valorize his courage too much or say that that's like right. or, or moralize it too much but I think what's going on with Harry is exactly this which is that this has become a core part of his identity of who he is of what he thinks his life means what he thinks at least his life in this moment and these months mean and he can't give that up I also think the other thing just thinking about pressure like the chapter opens with him walking into the great hall and everyone murmuring around him and disbelieving him and I just think about like just the utter loneliness of that when no one yeah. believes your story. I mean, the examples you were giving of like when people who have been victims of racism name the racism and no one believes them, like that's just it's like an additional burden. It's an additional pressure, an additional weight because you become alone, right? Because no one can see it except you. It's something you have to carry all yourself. If we think about the etymology of this word as something that weighs down on your heart or on your soul like what you need when something's weighing on your heart and soul is other people to help you carry it right which is exactly what harry wants and what harry needs i think it's also why harry lashes out to his friends i mean hermione's been calling him out the last couple chapters saying like listen we are not against you you need to show more patience for us and actually i think she is showing him remarkable patience because she's not lashing back out at him she's getting less patient but she's just explaining every time listen we are not against you but i think he feels very alone even among his friends he feels alone and that's why he's inclined to to lash out like this is because he feels like he's carrying this thing by himself. And, you know, that's something we've seen since the beginning of the book when no one was communicating with him and he thought he really was carrying it by himself and he didn't know what anybody else was doing or what Ron and Hermione were doing. And that loneliness and the loneliness of others' disbelief, I think, is an especially burdensome form of pressure in general and in Harry's particular situation here. Matt, I was also thinking, because I love your point 
especially about not wanting to valorize Harry as a martyr or as a victim, right? Like, we need to indict yeah. Umbridge rather than, like, celebrating the way that a victim handles a situation because any way he handled this would be valid. But also, I do think that it's an interesting indictment of torture as a way to get truth out of people because Umbridge could say yeah. that what she's doing is getting a confession out of him, right? She could write to Fudge and be like, look, he keeps writing down. I w must not tell lies. So he is admitting that he's been lying, right? And yeah. we know that, like, that's not what he's actually up to. And so I th do think it's really interesting to think about as the person with more power you can read people under pressure kind of in any way that you want to, right? Like you can yeah. not see the pressure and therefore see their behavior as weak or as an admission or, you know, as any number of things when really what they're responding to is the pressure being put on them and not yeah. sort of like the content of what's happening, but the methodology. Yeah. Because we don't want to judge people by how they are responding to torture. We want to hold the person who's committing the crime accountable. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com There are forms of pressure in this chapter which are less violent or maybe less less grim, but still real forms of pressure, right? One thing that we are learning in this first few days of school with all these fifth years that they are going to all their classes and every one of the teachers in their classes is laying a bunch of pressure on these students about their upcoming OWLs. Right, there are all tests. This, you know, we Vanessa, you and I come out of the American system of education, and so this translates a little bit poorly. But it's our understanding that in the UK, like there is, there are these really important tests that people take around this time, and there is a lot of pressure about your future, about what prospects you can have when you take these tests. And these teachers are laying it on thick. They're saying like, this is your future. You cannot advance unless you get these scores. You know, Snape says this. You need to be prepared for these national exams, and so they're piling on homework in these first few days. I mean, again, thinking about pressure as weighing something down, 
like metaphorically and almost literally with like the assignments and the books they have, you know, Harry keeps this running list as the week goes on of like, he's got this assignment and that assignment and this assignment. And then he goes to see Zumbridge and he does this awful thing. And then he's up late and can't finish everything. And then the next day he gets more and he's even further behind. And every day the pressure grows and pressure grows. You know, you and I have been in school a lot. I mean, we've had these weeks before, right? Where it seems like everything is coming due at the same time. And that can feel like a lot of pressure. But I'm just interested in the way that like different teachers are handling this with the students. Yeah, the way that different teachers do this is fascinating. And I think for several of them, it is just like they buy into this and they're like scared for the kids. They're like, no, guys, listen, like you really got to do well on these or your options are going to be fewer. And like, I didn't create this mess. But what I love is McGonagall. Coming in and, yes, putting pressure on, right? Being like, yes, the OWLs really matter. But then she's like, but there is no reason why each and every one of you shouldn't pass. And I just love that. She's like, if you put in the work, you're going to pass. Like, And she she does it in a little admonishy of a way where she's like, if you put in the work and if you don't, it's your fault. But I do think what she's trying to do is create, you know, what Carol Dweck would call like a growth mindset instead of a fixed mindset and like really instill in all the children that they are completely capable of this. And I I love that she calls out Neville and is like, even you like you're talented. You just lack confidence. That's the right move as a teacher, right, is to, like, believe that each and every one of your students can succeed and will succeed and that it's your job to help them get there. One of my pet peeves in education is when a whole class fails a test and a teacher comes in and is like, I'm very disappointed in all of you. And I'm like, no, no, you failed, (laughs) right? Like, every (laughs) single student didn't pass. That you're the common denominator. And McGonagall's (laughs) just really stepping into like believing that her kids can do great. And I love that. Yeah, I love it too. You know, the comment with Neville, you know, I'm ambivalent about like singling him out, but I'm getting the impression just from the description that like everyone looks at Neville, right? And actually (laughs) she's rescuing him a little bit rather than singling him out. Like he's already been singled out. And, you know, her comment is like that 85 mile an hour pitch, which is like... I'm going to lift some pressure and put the appropriate pressure on you, right? There is pressure. These right. are high stakes exams. I know that you can do it and you're going to have to work hard. The pressure I'm going to put on you is you're going to work hard, but there's no reason you can't. You just lack confidence, right? Like it's it's not saying relieve all pressure. It's saying, no, you can handle some pressure. You can't handle the wrong pressure. Like someone making you feel like you're incapable is the wrong kind of pressure. That's not going to help you. Right. Which is like, you know, what Snape does very characteristically, right? Just kind of says like, most of you are not going to do this. Most of you are not qualified. Don't even bother. That's kind of his attitude in potions. Whereas McGonagall takes the opposite, which is like the wrong kind of pressure is making you think you can't do this. The right kind of pressure is like saying there are going to be high standards and I'm going to try to push you to meet them. And you will get there if you just do it, right? And that that's that's better and more sympathetic. I think the other teachers you're right are just sort of like almost panicky for the children. They're kind of like, you know, <laughs> it hasn't been serious until now, but all of a sudden it's going to be serious and you have to take it right. seriously. It was fun and games before today and and today it's it's serious. And they're just trying to help students adapt. But you can see everyone's overwhelmed. All these fifth years are overwhelmed by all this homework that's arriving and the different strategies that the teachers are using to put pressure on them in a way that will help them succeed. I also just think that part of what McGonagall is doing here is putting some pressure on herself, right? She's like, Mm. I'm going to scaffold this curriculum so appropriately that if you just work hard, you're going to do great. And like, I'm taking on that work of preparation. 
And not, again, not that other teachers in the school are like, whatever, and abdicating all of it. But, I mean, this is a seasoned teacher, right? This is someone who's been doing this a long time. Yep. And it's why we should retain teachers. That's the corollary to your comment about, like, you know, a teacher who gives a test that everybody fails has written a bad test, right? Like, McGonagall is saying, like, I am stating to you all that all of you are capable, right? Then it's her responsibility to get them there, right? There's there's no one who's yeah. a lost cause in that room. That's her taking her t- responsibility as a teacher seriously to, to help them yeah. all get to where they want to be, which is what every teacher ought to do, right? Right. And, like, if you take on a little bit of pressure, that's going to take a little bit of pressure off of someone else, right? Saying, that's right. actually, this is on me. This isn't for you to entirely worry about. Yeah. Like, yeah. what a gift that can be. Vanessa, now it's time for our sacred reading practice. This week we're doing Florilegia, which is a monastic practice from the Middle Ages where particularly meaningful or interesting or beautiful passages from different texts would be pulled from them and then gathered together and almost read together as a new document. It was this really creative reading practice that Christian nuns innovated in the Middle Ages, and we have a version of it that we do on the podcast. So I've chosen the line from this chapter, and Vanessa has as well. And so we're going to read our lines and talk about what's going on in and around the lines when they are given in this chapter. And then we're going to put them together and see if anything new and interesting and exciting emerges from the pairing of them. So Vanessa, my line comes from toward the end of the chapter, or at least after we're deep into Harry's punishments with Umbridge. And this is the line. These were rather feeble rays of light, it was true. But Harry was grateful for anything that might lighten his present darkness. So obviously this line comes from, we're kind of inside Harry's head now, and this is Friday morning. He's just woken up and he realizes the weekend is coming and he's only got one more detention with Dolores. And he's hoping that if he positions himself appropriately in Dolores' office, he'll be able to see the Quidditch pitch and be able to observe some of Ron's tryout for Keeper. So these are the little glimmers of hope that he's holding onto as he enters the last day of what has been just a truly awful week for him in his return to Hogwarts. What's your line, Vanessa? Mine is, I didn't decide not to be there. This is when Angelina, who's been selected as the new team captain, is under a lot of pressure. And she is yelling at Harry for getting detention Mm. and being like, how dare you get detention? That's going to mess with Quidditch practice. And she's giving him a really hard time about it. And he finally snaps at her and is like, I didn't decide not to be there. And this I love this because it is something I do a lot, where I do kind of want to kill the messenger as the idiom goes, or like, it's interesting all the different ways that we can blame victims, where it's like, well, you were late for dinner, and it's like, well, there's really bad infrastructure in the city, and the train just like didn't run. And to some extent, I think whenever we meet in person, the like calendar invite is like, this is the reasonable amount of time I'm going to leave. And whether or not the streets and trains of Boston will allow me to get there on time actually isn't up to me. But we really love blaming each other and, like, blaming the, like, last line of defense, right? It's all of us, like, getting so annoyed with the customer service representative, even though we know that they're understaffed. And Angelina, man, she's messing up here. And I just love the incredulity of Harry being like, I didn't... 
Like, I did not do this on purpose. So let's put these two sentences together and see how they sound. These were rather feeble rays of light. It was true. But Harry was grateful for anything that might lighten his present darkness. I didn't decide not to be there. I like the idea that he will take anything that might lighten his present darkness, including, like, pushing back on Angelina. Like, this is, like, the Hmm. smallest inch of ground of, like, excuse me, let's not forget, like, I'm the one being targeted here. And even though Angelina is a safe person for him to stand up to, so it might not look like this big, brave thing, he's, like, trying for anything that's going to lighten this, even just standing up to his friend who he trusts. Yeah, as I put these sentences together, I'm trying to figure out, like, where the there is in the second sentence, right? Like, if the second sentence is following immediately after the first, and this is Harry speaking, then where is the there that he didn't decide not to be? These were rather feeble rays of light, but Harry was grateful for anything that might lighten his present darkness. I didn't decide not to be there. It's evoking something for me of, like, Harry feeling responsible for all this stuff that he ought not to be responsible for, right? Like... I don't know, just this this exclamation, I didn't decide not to be there. Like, all this stuff that's not his fault, that he's suddenly, it's his responsibility to fix. It's not just this moment with Angelina, where, like, it's his responsibility to get himself out of detention so he can come be the the hero of the Quidditch team so they can win the Quidditch championship so they can be the, the house champions, right? That's just, like, a microcosm of his story and this whole story, which is, like, oh, by the way, Harry, you're also going to be the one that has to defeat Voldemort. You are also going to be the one around which the whole resistance to this fascism is going to have to have to gather. And he's like that, but that, what, what, but (laughs) right. There's, I don't know. There's something about this darkness weighing on him and all this stuff kept landing on him. And just the defiance of that, it, you know, it crystallizes in this moment with Angelina, but they're just somehow extracting it from the Quidditch and putting it in the context of this looming darkness. It just expands it into his responsibility for the whole that everyone's putting upon him. Yeah. Yeah. Let me flip them around and see what see what else happens. I didn't decide not to be there. These were rather feeble rays of light. It was true. But Harry was grateful for anything that might lighten his present darkness. Oh, my God. This one's so fun to me. Yeah. It's like when you say get what? a slight cold. And so you can't go <laughs> to that thing that you really didn't want to go to. And you're like, I didn't decide not to be there. <laughs> But it turns out I can't. I have a fever of 99.9. And technically, that's above the cutoff. (laughs) (laughs) The freedom of, like, sometimes you not deciding. Yeah. that I mean, right? This is millennia, right? Like, canceling is the best. (laughs) Like, not doing something. Canceling is the best plans. Yeah. There's no, I know. That's the best. Now, I went a slightly darker way with it, which is like shocking. The glimmer of light that he has is this little modest resistance, right? Like, mm-hmm. Umbridge is not going to break me. That's all I have now, but I'm going to hold on to that. Or I'm going to stand up and say, like, this isn't mine or ought not to be mine. Even if I still feel it or whatever, I'm going to, what I do have is the, still the capacity to kind of decry it or to be defiant. There really is at this point in this book, and this is a, I mean, I'm just remembering as I read it now, like how dark this book is. That defiance is, it points in this in this novel, it's all Harry has. Yeah. It's the only thing he can cling to. And this is, you know, putting these two lines together this way kind of brings that into relief. Yeah. 
Matt, thank you so much for your beautiful leadership on this practice. It was great. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Emily. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. This is Emily. I use she, her pronouns. In the wrap-up episode for Goblet of Fire, I, like Matt, had forgotten that Vanessa likes to sum up the book from Hermione's perspective. And this time, it just really struck me that, of course... Hermione has a completely different narrative about her fourth year at Hogwarts, a whole different story to tell her parents. Sometimes we think, and the text supports this, that she can be defined by her status as Harry's friend and not her whole amazing and complex self. And I suddenly felt this real sadness about the stories that we'll never know or that we'll have to imagine ourselves about others' experiences of that year at Hogwarts because the tournament was in many ways the dominant narrative of this book. I'm the parent of a 12-year-old with invisible disabilities, some of which include social and emotional challenges. And this past year, in his first year at middle school, because of these challenges, there was a way in which there was a dominant narrative about him being defined by those challenges. It makes me especially grateful for those adults who chose to listen to the narrative of his gifts, which can get drowned out by the other stuff and are also part of his amazing and complex self. So I really appreciate the reminder you gave us, Vanessa. There's always other viewpoints to consider other ways people have experienced the same thing. And may this serve as a blessing for all those whose stories are not heard or were ignored or otherwise lost. May you know that they are valid and true and you are held in a circle of care and love. Thank you so much for this wonderful podcast. Emily, thanks so much. I think it's, it is one of the tragic things about being alive, thinking about all of the stories that we'll never know, right? If you just think about the people who were intentionally not included on the skills of reading and writing, and therefore we don't have any records, or all the talented people who 
we're discouraged in any numbers of ways. And yeah, there's so many unknown stories. And I'm really sorry that your kiddo was part of that this past year. Thank you, Emily, for your voice memo and for sharing some of your story and your son's story with us. Blessings to you and blessings to those teachers who were willing to to lift up a different story of, of your son and, and their flourishing. It reminds me of McGonagall in this chapter, who's just telling a different story about Neville, right? Saying that this is a this is a child who is competent and capable. And actually, those of us who have read the series know that she is right. And I think we also know that part of her being right is her being willing to tell the story about him in front of everybody else. That helps him grow into it. A story which is entirely his own. It doesn't belong to McGonagall, but McGonagall knows it's his and it's important that she that she tells it. So I'm glad that you have some teachers in your life that your son does that that do this too. And we hope that he always will. It is now time for us to remember members of our community who have been loved and lost. Sir Michael Gambon, who's 82, whom this listener remembers with gratitude and love for the beautiful way that he interpreted Dumbledore on screen. Marie Thorson, who is 89, a mother and grandmother. Chris, who was 35, a trans activist, Jedi, a nurse champion, friend, and parent. May their memories be a blessing. Vanessa, who are you blessing this week? I am blessing Bow Truckles, who are described as tree guardians. And I just think if I were a magical creature, I would want to be a Bow Truckle. But also, what Grubbly Plank teaches the children is not to, like, respect the Bow Truckles and offer them a gift of tree lice in exchange for extracting something from their tree, but how to distract them so we can steal from them. And that feels wrong and not very consensual. And I do, it was the first time that I was like, oh, Hagrid is a better care of magical creatures teacher because he would have been like as a sign of respect. And in exchange of bartering, he wouldn't be like, be scared of them. They'll gouge your eyes out. He would be like, look how sharp and awesome their fingers are. And I was like, oh, Hagrid is a better teacher. And God bless right. the bow trackles. What about you, Matt? Maybe this blessing is actually for Hagrid. I'm worried about the bow trackles. I mean, if they're tree guardians, they are busy. <laughs> it's so much work. It's so much work. Uh, I'm blessing Ernie McMillan. Maybe this is my new Hufflepuff pride. Mm -hmm. You know, the text makes a point of him saying that even in standing up for Harry, he does it with a little bit of sort of haughtiness or what we're told is his typical pomposity. I just like that he stands up and he says, Harry, I believe you. And we always back Dumbledore. Like if one of the things Harry is suffering from in these chapters is the absence of folks standing up and saying, I believe you, it matters when somebody stands up and says, I believe you, especially when they do so in front of other people. And so Ernie's one of the first to Luna does it as well in this chapter. But, you know, it's blessings to them and blessings to Ernie. Matt, next week we're reading Book 5, Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot, through the theme of resentment with special guest Margaret H. Willison. I'm so excited. 
Just a few reminders before we give our thanks. We have pilgrimages on sale. You can find out more about all of them by going to readingandwalkingwith.com. We have a Harry Potter pilgrimage, a Weathering Heights pilgrimage, a Duke by Default pilgrimage. There is something for you. Come and join. You can also, as always, subscribe for ad-free episodes on Apple Podcasts. This was a Not Sorry production. We are a feminist production company. Our executive producer who is in studio with us today is Caitlin Hoffmeister. We're edited and produced usually by AJ Yaramas, but only edited for this episode because AJ decided to take vacation. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are distributed by 8Cast. We would like to thank Emily for her voicemail this week, Lara Glass, Ariana Nettleman, Julia Argy, Margaret H. Wilson, Nikki Zoltan, Hannah Rehack, Courtney Brown, Casper Turkile, Natalie Folkert, Stephanie Paulsell, and everyone who sent in the names of their loved ones. Thanks, everyone. And if I was pitching to them, and honestly, I threw harder than the pitchers in their league, show they, off. Would, they would be fine. Yeah, they, they'd, they'd hit. I know, right? I was cranking it up into like the mid-40s, high-40s. <laughs> I am stronger than your average 10-year-old. Just to be clear <laughs> to taller. our listeners, yeah, I, I would totally dominate this little league. 